This morning we're going to continue to um, part two of our vision for church and um, I've got the privilege of just sharing a few thoughts this morning. Um, I know it's warm in here um, so hopefully if you need a nod to have a nod but I've been told my voice is very calming sometimes. Um, but just recognising that as, as church, we're, we're on a bit of a journey, um, and each one of us is on a journey. Each one of us has a story. And briefly, I just wanted to show you um, just two journeys. And the first one I want to show you is if there was ever a vague possibility that my family and I went shopping together, this would be what it would look like. There are two routes. Two of us would do one way, and two would do the other way. You can work out and decide for yourself which two um, out of our family would, would go shopping either the red way or the blue way. The other possibility for us is, and you may have seen this before, that basically we have a picture of what life's journey is going to be like, and then there is a reality. Have a look at this. Is that what the top one, a bit like actually what you think life's going to be like? You have these dreams, these visions. And the reality, it looks nothing like that. There are kind of times when you feel like you're drowning. There are times when you feel like you're dropping in big depths. There are times where you're going through jungles and you can't see any way out. There is something about journeying together individually, but together that is not simple. And for us as church, uh, Derek shared last week that our overall vision as church, our DNA, is about continually reproducing the life of Jesus. And over the last two, uh, two years, we've been sharing a few thoughts on, on that journey. So two years ago, in 2017, 2018, we felt God had called us to a year of prayer. Recommitting ourselves to prayer. Prayer being the furnace of what it's about as part of his people in Bristol. It wasn't about more prayer meetings. It wasn't having big discussions of whether you kind of prayed in this way as an introvert, whether you prayed in this way as an extrovert. No, it was about actually committing and be believing and living out the words of two. The foundations were being built. It was about continually encouraging each other individually and together to pray that the God of breakthrough would continue to break through into our church and into our individual lives. It wasn't a journey that finished. It's not a finished journey. It's not a finished story. Prayer continually is part of what we're about. Then a year ago in 2018, in September 2018, we felt God was calling us to rebuild, repair and restore. Isaiah 58:12 says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What did this look like to pursue this as church family? What does it look like? Because we're the ones that have to model this to a world that is broken. It's about a journey that is still not finished. 
It's about a journey that is a story that is not finished. Vision, when we share vision to each other, when we encourage each other, it unlocks something, but it never kind of feels like we've done that tick box onto the next thing. So what we share this morning is a continuation of what we've been. And as we've gone on to this journey, which I would suggest is quite an internal journey in some ways, our hearts have always been about outward facing. And let's be honest, it's not easy fighting against what the world is pushing at us, what culture is pushing at us. I would suggest, and I've said this a few times, there is a culture of consumerism and cynicism. That's right. Um, I can't say defibrillator either. Just, but there we go. Um, I noticed that this week. There is a culture of consumerism and cynicism that lurks at the door of the kingdom of God, Jesus-facing church. And I would suggest that sometimes we let that in. But are we going to be shaped by an external culture or shaped by the foundations of praying, of seeking God, of modelling selflessly what it means to rebuild, repair, restore? I have to say my weakness for me is I'm not very kind to myself sometimes. And I kind of drift into some of that culture and then I'm, I'm... not kind to myself. But I'm passionate that this church does not become a consumer church where we're about what we get out of it first or I'll get everything in my Sunday box. And to be really blunt, I've had this conversation in the last month with about four church leaders across the city, very different types of churches. Some are a lot bigger than us, some are the cool churches. And they're all saying the same thing. There is something about consumerism and the culture of of that that is creeping into the church, that's lurking at the door. We need to fight against that. But what for us? What does it look like for us? As Derek shared last week, it's about being a Jesus-centred church. We shared, you may have picked up, one. if you weren't around, you may have picked up one of the cards that are also on the chairs this morning, reminding us what is our core vision as church about um, discover, about family, about serve, about transform. We discover because we love Jesus. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. We are family. We love each other. Yikes. We pray, we worship, we learn so that together we become more like Jesus. We serve, we follow Jesus' example, we give our times, our skills, our resources generously. And we transform, we partner with others, we actively engage with our communities, our city, our world to show Jesus' love and tackles issues of injustice. We refresh, that's nothing's changed from our vision from, for decades. We've just refreshed it, made it into our language. That actually is not just a kind of thing that, as Christians, we know all the buzzwords. But actually, we're welcoming people in on a journey. Maybe there are people here this morning, actually, you, you, you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you're not following Jesus. We want to welcome you on this journey of following Jesus. We would recommend highly 
that you would just lay down your life and say, Jesus, you say come follow me. I'm up for that. That's what our journey is. And this morning, we're going to brief, I'm going to briefly remind us of Jesus' vision. His manifesto, sometimes it's called. And then I'll share a few things that as leadership here, we feel that God may be gently, graciously be moving us on into, and has been probably for about two decades. In Luke 4, Jesus, at the age of 30, he was baptised, the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove. He got his father's approval. This is my son whom I love. And I'm well pleased. And then he went into a wilderness. For 40 days. Tempted by the devil. And in verse 14 of Luke 4 we pick up these words. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news spread about him, spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up on his home turf. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So being full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit into a wilderness place. He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that all the resources of heaven... All the resources of heaven were on him. Jesus declared a centuries-old manifesto from Isaiah 61 and owned it himself. The message translation of the Bible puts it like this. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. I'm praying this over you guys now. He has sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burden and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it to his assistant and sat down. Every eye was on him intently. And then he said, you've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. Father God, would you make that scripture come true in all of our lives in this place now Amen as a church if we are a Jesus centred church and the vision is Jesus then we need to translate how to live out his manifesto in this world in our communities in our circles of influence in our networks of relationships. We're going to look at that briefly later. But what happened to Jesus next was he left Nazareth. He was actually forced out. They were rumbled. Those listening were praising him and then within seconds they were rumbled. They were disturbed. 
they drove him out. Jesus started preaching, going out for all the kingdom of God stuff. Read it throughout the Gospels. All the kingdom of God stuff happening. And we read in Matthew's account of Jesus' life in chapter 4. We read this. He's starting to build his team now. As Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left the nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and son of Zebedee. Anyone else ever think of the... Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father followed him. Jesus did a lot of walking. And one of those first things that he did was to find a team, a group of people to walk with him. What he said to them was, come, follow me. It was more than an invitation to go for a stroll. Walking with Jesus meant an entirely new way of walking. His disciples would learn this new way well. They'd soak it up. Because they, they more than just walked alongside him. They heard and they saw. They walked with him. And the challenge for us, if we believe that we need to be a Jesus-centered church with people who live Jesus-centered lives, then are we prepared to walk with him? And the challenge to committing ourselves for the next two, three years, some of these things I want to share, is about intentionality and focusing on that. So firstly, what I want to share is we want to be a church that equips and releases the next generation to lead inside and outside of church. And we want to invest also with our children and our young people. So Jesus' model there we've just read about was to take a very mixed bag of young adults as his followers and invest his entire life into them. They were equipped, released to turn the world upside down. Throughout this term, we're going to look at the book of Acts a bit later on. What it was like to be Jesus' followers that turned the world side upside down, even caused a riot at times. We want to continue intentionally do this within church, but also in everyday life, in workplaces, in your social networks, in families. What is it like to be to invest in a generation below us who are servant-hearted, sacrificial and courageous, who lead with influence and impact? I love the line that someone reminded me once on a, on a bad day. You're only a leader when people follow you. Otherwise, you're just going for a walk. 
There are challenges that we're going to look like for a younger generation that we've never experienced before. So not only we want to release the next generation of leadership, but actually to look younger to our young people, to our children, to invest into them. We all have a responsibility to that. I've said it loads of times. Get bored of me saying some of the same lines, I know. It takes a whole church to raise a child. It's something that we've lost in the UK particularly. That village mentality of extended family. In other parts of the world, they get this. The village mentality of extended family we, we don't get here in the UK. It needs to translate into our church. Chris Kandaya, who speaks here sometimes, said this, youth work can't be left to youth workers because it takes a whole church to raise a child. As much as our young people need our youth workers, they also need the rest of the congregation. They need older people to care about them and pray for them, spot their gifts, encourage their faith. They need younger children in order to be role models and to pass on the faith. They need their parents to model a gracious, generous, growing faith. Sadly, most of us transmit to our children an almost Christian faith that revolves around our needs being met, consumerism, our behaviour being seen to be appropriate, and our conversation being virtually devoid of a applied biblical thinking ouch ouch I take it on the chin that one Jesus was intentional about reaching children and young people when his disciples tried to protect Jesus from being bothered by children he said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these that was breakthrough stuff in that era shattered cultural norms crazy fun messy noisy invest in our children and young people and I say that, that that's part of our vision that's what we want to be intentional about to raise up leaders in the next generation and invest also in our children and young people but here's the kind of the challenge just this week you may have if you kind of read some stuff on, online, you may have read there's been a, a major global research project just finished called The Connected Generation, uh, done by um, an organisation called Barma and World Vision, the charity. 15,000 adults aged 18 to 35 in 25 countries and nine languages were interviewed, asking them about their goals, fears, relationships, routines and beliefs. There were some key trends which challenged the church globally, and I think challenged us. It challenged us for the generation of that 18 to 35, but even more so when we go lower, because these challenges are only going to get deeper. And here are the briefly the key trends. What is seen amongst that generation is that they are connected but alone. There is a spiritual openness. It is an age of anxiety. They are looking for answers. They're looking for resilient discipleship. 
and they're longing to make a difference. That's for that generation, but it'll go deeper as the next generation comes through. I've said it before, our generation's ceiling is the next generation's floor. How are we, all of us here, we all have a responsibility to do something about this. The challenges need to be turned into opportunities. Let's look at it like that. As we consider that, I want us to have that in our mind as we consider the second thing I want to share. That as a church, we have a commitment to people's physical, mental and spiritual well-being. Just even in that kind of, um, those key trends, you can see that the age of anxiety is a huge thing. If you watch, uh, there was a program on the other night around... Um, one of the singers in the band Little Mix, who was really vulnerable in sharing something about what was going on in her generation, how she was reacting. Even this week, I was gutted to read this. A 30-year-old pastor in America committed suicide. There's something that we need to do, church, and journey together in conversation and this community. Nikki Gumbel, who started the Alpha Course, said this, church is not an organisation you join. It's a family where you belong, a home where you're loved, and a hospital where you find healing. In this church family, we cannot... We cannot share our scars with each other without fear of prejudice or spiritual qualification. If we, if we cannot share our scars with each other, and if we can't do that without fear of prejudice, then something is wrong. We can't stand up and say, Jesus is hope for the world, unless we're vulnerable with each other. And some of us go, oh, that's a bit internal, stupid. I'm not that kind of person. In 2 Corinthians verse two, chapter 2, verse 7, Paul writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not us. And then he goes on in chapter 12, my grace is sufficient. You know, kind of these are like little ver verses that we stick on a fridge. Now this is stuff we've got to let go deep inside of us. My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast of all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Jesus Christ's power may rest on me. Our humility and our vulnerability in our humanity does not, does not weaken the message of Jesus. Jesus was the most authentic, emotional human being ever to walk planet Earth. He shed tears. He was filled with joy. He grieved. He was angry. He had anguish and sadness come over him. He was overflowed with compassion. He showed astonishment and wonder. He felt deep emotional distress. So if Jesus is our, the centre of how we do life, then it's okay. 
We have the vision to be committed to this journey together. Just share an interaction of two quite inspirational characters. Today was a difficult day, said Pooh. There was a pause. Do you want to talk about it? asked Piglet. No, said Pooh after a bit. No, I don't think I do. That's okay, said Piglet. And he came and sat beside his friend. What are you doing? asked Pig Pooh. Nothing really, said Piglet. Only I know what difficult days are like. I quite often don't feel like talking about it on my difficult days either. But goodness, continued Piglet, difficult days are so much easier when you know you've got someone there for you. And I'll always be here for you, Pooh. As Pooh sat there, working through his head about his difficult day, while the solid, reliable Piglet sat next to him quietly, swinging his legs, he thought that his best friend had never been more right. We can all be piglets. We can all be piglets. As you remember, we've shared here before this little kind of pottery. Kintsugi is a Japanese te technique for repairing pottery with seams of gold. The word kintsugi means golden joinery in Japanese. Interesting. Maybe take one with you. This repairs the brokenness in a way that makes the object more beautiful, even more unique than it was prior to being broken. Instead of hiding the scars, it makes a feature of them. There is beauty in our brokenness. What does that look for like for us? We're going to go deeper in this over the next three years. How do we go to be committed to each other and to our worlds? To see a renewal, to be changed, to sit alongside each other, to have conversation. We're going to run Kintsugi Hope Groups in early 2020. Places to be safe and supportive in our church, for people to grow and flourish, to open up the lid and say, God, we want to be real to this world. We want to be hope for this world, but we recognise our brokenness. Our vision is to do this together, but also individually, so that we grow to be like Jesus. And this needs to be overflowing into the world. The stuff I've shared already is about who we are about being, but also there's something about what do we do. You kind of expect that from me because I'm an activist type of person. I'm, a, I'm, not really a, I'm not really a settler, I'm more of a pioneer. Finally, we want to establish a community hub in Hallfield. We want to be intentional about church planting in close-by estates. Ultimately, the vision is to see lots of new people come to faith and follow Jesus. So what does that Luke 4 vision look like now? Jesus announces his manifesto 
But what are the arms and feet, or even hands and feet, locally for us in North Bristol? It's about continuing a journey, and I'd actually change the word journey to say adventure, that we've been on for decades. About serving with extravagant kingdom generosity the communities of Horford, Lockleys, Filton. About being constant and sharing the love of God with our actions and our words. Or if you prefer it the other way round, our words and our actions. We have so many positive relationships with people in our communities. There's something about God's favour and what we're about as church. You might not see any of that here on a Sunday, but there's something about God's favour and what we're about as a church in our communities. That's why we want to see a community hub formed within Hawfield, a place that's open daily which can bring long-term transformation, deeper relationships with those who live in our community. Parallel to that, we want to continue a journey of praying and seeking God about planting a new generation of churches. For those of you who know, Abby planted a few churches quite a long time ago. We want to do this in a way that is fresh and creative. I'm not saying take a model off a shelf and do it like that. I'm saying let's pray into something that is fresh and creative for the estates around us. Reaching those first who don't know Jesus. Not importing people from churches all around. Reaching those who don't know Jesus. Empowering them as they come to faith to reach their own communities. Bringing God's wholeness, the shalom of God in our communities. Continually reproducing the life of Jesus. Already there's opportunities have come up in a couple communities. Working with other churches. I like that. I like the idea of church coming together. It's not about a name or a brand. It's about Jesus people reaching our communities. It will look different. So the hands and feet of this vision about impact and influence that brings the kingdom of God, kind of community transformation, but lots of people coming to know Jesus. To be honest, it should be what we're already about. That we respond to Jesus' come follow me request. If you've journeyed the journey of faith for decades, you know that line, come follow me. And we go through seasons and we're like, I'm not sure I've actually done that. <laughs> I see it as someone as a leader of a church. And I think there are seasons where I've not done that. When Jesus said, come follow me, that I've actually done that. What does that look like for us in a daily, day by day way? For some of us, we're sitting there going, gosh, some of those things sound a bit big and a bit scary. What can I bring to the table? What can I do? I can't make any change. I'm too small. Here's a quote. If you think you're too small to make a difference, then you obviously haven't spent a night with a mosquito. We're never too small to make a difference. And finally, as I just finished now, 
there's something about all this, about who we are as people and what we do that needs to be unpinned, underpinned with that vision of two years ago of prayer. Prayer is the only way that we're going to see breakthrough. Prayer needs to be the furnace. It needs to unpin, underpin us. It needs to be the age-old foundation. Those words in Isaiah 58, the age-old foundation, because that's where the breakthrough will come. Individually and together, we're called to continually reproduce the life of Jesus.